just uh, in passing, when we mentioned about the seven and uh, clean animals that were admitted to the ark and the uh, two of the unclean, I, I know some of you came over to uh, just ask me if if what it really meant was when we have a figure of number two, it means right and left, and it's not balanced. In other words, we know we need a, a third or central column. Like in the atom, you have a proton, you have an electron, you need a neutron to create a balancing agent. This is what we learn in Kabbalah, that if you have only two forces, and like in the bulb, but you don't have a filament, then you don't have a circuit of energy. And therefore, the two are called unclean, meaning because there's tamay, the Hebrew word for tamay means not unclean, but literally it means the lack of a circuit of energy or even short circuitry. So that was the reason why it was mentioned in the uh, Torah that the two of the unclean meaning indicating that these are uh, the, those animals, their, their intrinsic characteristic was one, like the pig, of not having a balancing agent. And therefore, when we, we have these dietary laws of not eating pig or other non-clean animals, it's not because there's a religion called dietary laws which says this yes, this no, but rather it's to, it's to give us some support and knowledge concerning the internal energy forces that exist in the pig or the camel or any other unclean animals so that when we ingest these kind of animals, we're ingesting their internal energy force. And so we don't want to ingest within us a force that is not in balance, that does not have the qualities of three, does not have the balance. So that that's why it was mentioned too. Now returning to the uh, question that the Ari raised, why was Noah uh, saved only through a uh, an ark? I mean, there are so many other ways how God could have saved him. And so last year, and so I'm just going to mention this briefly again for those of you who may have forgotten or didn't hear it. Again, the the ark obviously is not something that was going to save Noah. If you recall, it says when the flood started, it was that kind of a flood that an ark would not survive. In chapter 7, verse 18, it says, And the waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly high, but that it, what, what kind of water was it? Everything opened up. It was hot. It was hot ice, cold ice. It was not the kind of situation where an ark could survive. The physical ark would never have survived, just like a raft in the middle of an ocean could not survive. The kind of flooding that was going on, it was not just an abund- a, a, a tremendous amount of rain that was coming on uh, down, but uh, like it says in uh, verse 11, and uh, the great deep broken up and uh, the windows uh, of the heaven were open. And the Zohar says there was hot and uh, there was heat waves. It was not a nor- normal flooding kind of idea. The Ark physically could not have survived this uh, this uh, Mabul. Therefore, the Zohar says that what the, the uh, interpretation of the Ark had nothing to do with a physical Ark 
because in a physical act Noah would survive. But rather he was talking about a security shield. And in fact the numbers that is given when it says Shlosh Meot Ama, 300 cubits and uh, the the breadth was 50 cubits and the height was 30 cubits. What is it talking about, says the Zohar? Physical dimensions. What would happen if it wasn't 300 and if it was 299 or if it was 301? Would it have made any difference? No, says the Zohar. The Torah is talking again in a coded form. When he says 300, he is talking about Ketachach Mabina, whereby, and this is this is the power of the Torah, this is the power of the Alabet, that we, like Shlomo Melech says, the day will come when gold will no longer, or silver will no longer be expensive. Because man has the ability to create gold. Man has the ability to create silver. The knowledge is so far concealed. But how did they have gold and silver in, uh, when they needed it for the temple? They created it themselves. The Zohar says this idea in, in, uh, in Pashat Bishalach in Exodus. What does that mean? Because what creates gold? What creates silver? How, how was it created? How was it created? The answer is, when you put together and a, uh, and a chemist knows that too, or a physicist, when you put together elements, or they, they say, well, this is the way it looks, so this is the structure of gold, and this is the structure of silver. But you, if you can, through your mind, put together certain forces, then they operate as a metaphysical force, not as a physical force, and therefore you can create gold and so forth and so on. Yeah, actually, uh, right, left, and central in gold. That's right. Silver... Silver has a predominance and a domination and a dominion of positivity. That's why it's white. Gold, which has a yellow coloring, and is copper. because and copper. copper is essential. That's what the when the Torah was building it, it, it describes the structure of the tabernacle in the wilderness, talking about gold and silver and copper. Why why different metals? Why not use gold? In fact. Why not use gold? It's a stronger metal. It's a more, it's a more uh, uh, preserving metal. It had nothing to do with metals. It has to do with making and utilizing energy forces. Making use of energy forces. Because no one in his right mind thinks that when a thief, God forbid, comes down the street and he's going to choose one of seven houses on the block, that he sits down and makes his calculation and so forth. He chooses one and not the other. What determined that he chose this one and not the other? What determined that he chooses this block and not another? There are forces that direct the whole show. We don't direct. All we can direct. The answer is we can protect and make security shields. That's what the ark was about. It was a security shield. Nothing more. Noah was advised was advised by God on how he can structure something that the elements, the natural elements, could not overcome, or the the energy shield that he created would withstand everything. But why did he need the box? Why did he need a box? 
And here the Zohar informs us that the reason why Noah chose or why he was told a box because a person is never to, to reveal himself when, meaning physically, when there are negative energy forces around. Now, we, we've spoken many a time on the aspect of Ayin Hara. And here, the Zohar here the Zohar in Pashat Noah says that it wasn't sufficient enough that he created a security shield in the form of an ark but the reason that it was necessary that there be a physical ark as well, says the Zohar, Valkem Bikesha Kadosh Parhu, Lechapot al Noach Lastiro Meayin Roe, Kedeshlo Yuchol, Ruach Hatame Lishlot Alav, Kedeshlo Yishachet. In other words, as we have discussed on many occasions, and even the the uh, the Talmud says that most people who die before their time, there are people who had no way of, of, uh, of uh, knowing how to control the, the longevity of, of their existence. It says in the Zohar that there are three things, banim, chaye, mezone, that is only talui b'mazal. In other words, how many children one will have, if he will have children, how long will he live, <clears throat> how much wealth will he accumulate or panasa it is all fixed it is all fixed all fixed in a proper modem to make everyone happy this world was not created for the benefit of suffering this was not the objective nor was this the foresight of, of, of God to create a world of misery he never had this in mind yet why is misery more the, more the prevailing rule than those who can say we enjoy life day in, day out? Few. Says the um, Talmud, as well as the Zohar, ayin hara, evil eye. So while a person, let's say, was destined to live 120 years, an ayin hara, and says the Talmud, most premature deaths, meaning if a person should have lived 100 years, 80 years, or whatever. If he dies young, it is because of Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara. That means if someone uh, contracts cancer at an early age, God forbid, it was an Ayin Hara. Most premature deaths are due to Ayin Hara. Most premature deaths are due to Ayin Hara. Meaning, the Ayin Hara could either create as we said, cancer. Why? Why in one individual there is the the prevalent of uh, prevalence of cancer, and someone else not. It's not a question of luck. If a person's security shield can be penetrated by ayin hara, then there is a breakdown of whatever si- the immune system that was innately innately structured in every human being. Everyone has cancer cells. Everyone is vulnerable to cancer cells. What determines one yes and one no? Why is one more vulnerable 
than another? The answer is, says the Zohar and the Talmud, because if that security shield can be penetrated, then there's a breakdown of the system that was originally structured at birth. That for the benefit and welfare and well-being of the individual, not for the suffering of an individual. That singular instrument is ayin hara. Comes in many forms. Comes in forms of evil eye. Comes in forms of when on a cemetery, as you know, uh, there is the malachamavet. That's his place of abode. And if you be, if you open yourself up, and that's the expression. If you open yourself up to attack. How do you open yourself up to attack? In other words, you do you let down the security shield. If you watch uh, Star Trek, they have a lot of that stuff. They let down the security shield. Or you activate your security shield. Where do you think these people got it from? They took it from the Zohar. I don't know if they really read Zohar, but wherever they got the idea, this is the idea expressed in the Zohar right through. We open ourselves up to disease, we open ourselves up and we are the cause of that vulnerability. It's not luck, it's not we're unlucky or lucky. Therefore, to conceal, physically conceal and create a and create a security shield that would not be vulnerable to Ayin Hara, therefore, <laughs> says the Zohar, there was a necessity of a physical shield the necessity of a physical shield. Now, there are many other ways of protecting oneself, Because, but if one goes out in the street, he already immediately becomes vulnerable. And therefore, as you know about the mezuzah, mezuzah is another security shield. We, nobody knows this. In fact, if 99% of all mezuzot today in the world that had the stamp and approval of the rabbinate in Israel are now non-kosher, something's going on. I mean, here is a Jew who wants to put a mezuzah on his door, and they don't let him. He already decided a mezuzah is a good thing. Maybe he doesn't know what it is. And maybe that's the reason they're not, they're not of any value. But 99% have no value. They are pasul. Now, being pasul is even worse than if you had no mezuzah there at all. Why? Because, like this, you see the word shaddai in the word. That's the protective shield, meaning when you walk out of that door and you make a connection with the, uh, some people kiss it, some people look at it, but they make that connection. That's another form of a security shield that goes with you. Now, if that mezuzah would not be kosher, then the yud, the energy force, which is the yud of the tetragrammaton, is removed. And I don't want to tell you what's left, because it's a word that I... You, Especially at night, you don't repeat. But it's a sheen dalit. It's a sheen and a dalit. And I don't want to say the word. But that follows the individual. You want to know why he got into an accident? He let his security shield down. He was now vulnerable. So why did he get involved in the accident and not somebody else? Or why something happens to him? And it's the fault of nobody else but himself. But you say, but I didn't know. Well... Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Therefore, says the Zohar, the necessity of the physical, it was not necessary, the physical ark was not necessary because Noah 
had been instructed by God and taught by God how he could create his security shield. That was energy forces. He built around himself an energy, an energy field. Everyone has an energy field around himself. Everyone. You feel people. The reason you feel people, because their, their energy fields express what they really are. That's why you're uncomfortable with some people and sometimes some people you're comfortable <laughs> without ever having met the individual, without that ever, individual ever having spoken one word to you. You intrinsically feel a, a comfortability with some and an uncomfortability with others. What determined it? What determined it? It's the energy field that express that is within uh, Daladamot. In fact, says the Zohar in the Talmud. Daladamot. It extends eighty-eight inches, an area of eighty-eight inches. Anyone coming within those eighty-eight inches can feel you, not even knowing why he feels the way he feels about you. But the reason he feels that way is because you are expressing your internal energy. If you're negative. The people around you will feel it. If you're a positive person, people around you will feel it, even though you have never expressed any form of negativity or form of positivity. It has nothing to do with the physical action. He may not even know you, and yet he'll be able to tell and feel who you are. The more spiritual you are, the more in tuned you are, you can spot these things all around you immediately, depending on how attuned you are to things around you. So therefore, says the Zohar, the reason why he created this physical, the physical ark was because the mashkit, that evil force that is permitted to operate in this world, that is permitted to operate in this world, because there must be balance, there's good and evil in this world, for the purpose of balance, for the purpose of free will, for the purpose of free choice, therefore he constructed this Teva, this ark, to prevent the physical penetration, the eye of the mashkit, the eye of the destroyer from penetrating his security shield. While the waters and the floods, that was taken care of. But the eye, the eye of these demons, or whatever else you want to call them, they can penetrate. They can penetrate. And the only thing that keeps them away is some physical shield. Therefore, we had a. It was necessary to create this ark. Now, returning to the idea of this month, the Zohar also says that the first day of this month, Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. There are two days of Rosh Chodesh, but we're referring to the first day of the lunar month of Scorpio is the most powerful singular energy intelligent day of the year there is no singular day more powerful than Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan in other words is that a good day to start things there is no better day can you start what about Yom Kippur is that more powerful Yes and no. What do I mean by yes and no? Yom Kippur could be the end of Chas people, where the decree is death, or if the individual knows what Yom Kippur is all about, and he can elevate himself and contact 
the what I call the energy store of Bina and tap that power of Bina. He has life, a complete security shield. But it depends on what? On the activity of the human being. Depends on the amount of knowledge he has. Depends on his connection with Yom Kippur. But Yom Kippur, by and within itself, does not provide life and a security shield for everybody. Does not do it by and within itself. The first day of Cheshvon, says the Zohar, this month of Bull, is the most singular, powerful security day of the year. And therefore, that's the prop, most proper day of the whole year to start new things. Now, it's already over. For those of you who hear, heard it for the first time, you'll remember for next year. All right? But this is information. Why weren't you provided with this information? Ask yourselves. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if you thought a week before or a week later to do something? Why didn't I choose that day? What does it mean? It means all you have to do is connect. Make your connections. We know how to make connections with the cosmos, with the dollar for, for Mars, and the, the noon for Scorpio. Simple methods. The day is positivity. All that is required is you're connecting with it. That's all. Nothing more. And that day is the most powerful, positive day of the year. Again, does not conflict, does not conflict with what we're talking about. Mar Cheshvan, a day of, of bitter, a month of bitterness, a month of the of the deluge, of a flood. But let us remember, do you know when the flood began? What day of the month? The seventeenth day of the month. Now, you know what 17 means. Also a coded message. A coded message. 17 means tov. Good. Now, how do we reconcile good? How do we reconcile good with the beginning of the deluge, with the beginning of the flood? It's an apparent contradiction or an apparent paradox. How do you reconcile both ideas? So... We have already explained this when we were discussing the three weeks in Tammuz. When did, or when was the, uh, when were the uh, tablets shattered? On the seventeenth day of Tammuz, when Moses came down from the mount. When did the beginning of the temple, the beginning of the destruction of the temple, begin? On the seventeenth day of Tammuz, but that's a good day. It's the seventeenth day of the month. How does it how does destruction begin? Whether it was the destruction of the temple or destruction of the world. How does it begin on the seventeenth day? Says the Zohar, only to teach us that there is no such thing as being lucky or unlucky. In fact, the Zohar says when when it speaks about uh, non-believers, non-believers, how do you classify a non-believer? Someone who says I don't believe in God. Someone who says he believes in God is also a non-believer. Why is someone who says I believe in God a non-believer? Because he says I believe, meaning he says I have a doubt, or not. He would say I know. If you say you believe, you say I'm pretty sure. That's what I believe means, and that you would say I know. So when you hear people 
around you saying, I believe in God. I'm not an agnostic. I believe in God. So naturally the answer is you don't believe completely in God, but you kind of favor the idea that there's a God, but you're not sure. That's why you said the word I believe. The Zohar says that everything depends not on God. Everything doesn't depend on God. Even when you say, I believe in God and he'll take care of me. Does he take care of everybody? See, it's a lie. What about those people who believe in God? Are they not vulnerable because they believe in God? No, says the Zohar. You see, because even on a day like Tov, on the 17th day, when it's good, not going to be good for everybody. It'll be good for some and be good for and be bad for some. For Noah, he was saved that day. For others, they perished. Just like on the 17th day of Tammuz, we say that was a day that brought on the destruction of the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. That is a bad day. A bad day for whom? A bad day for those who connect to the negative aspect of that day. But there is also a positive aspect to that day. Which are you going to tap? That depends on the individual. If you want to tap the security shield, and that's why we heard the reading of the Torah in Pashat Noach, why do you think we went to the Beth Knesset to listen to it? Why should we listen to it? To hear the story read from the Torah? Why do you have to read it read from the Torah? Here, read it at home. Read it in the Chumash. Why do you have to come to the Beth Knesset? Because we have learned from the Zohar that that scroll, if it's properly written, and of course, again, I must say 99% of Torah Apasul, so said the rabbis. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't inspect them. But if you made the connection, that is the way we can tap the positive aspect of it. Intrinsically, Cheshvan is bad. Who is it bad for? For everybody? It wasn't bad for Noah. For him it was all right. Who was it bad for? For those who could not connect. For those who connect to, as we do throughout the year, to the negative aspect. So when we heard Noah read in the synagogue, what was the purpose of it? To connect and tap something that became established in the world. What was it? A security shield. You want a security shield? Come to the Beth Knesset, listen to the reading of the Torah, and you connect it to a security shield. Do I believe in it? Don't I believe it? You have an alternative? Let me hear it. I haven't heard another one, and maybe this one works. And in the absence of any other, any other teaching that says you can become take control of your life, nobody says that. Everyone wants to console us. But nobody says how you can assure yourself of, of some form of a security shield. Therefore, this whole reading of Noah, again, is not to tell us a story. It is to teach us that here, when you hear this, and if you can connect to, to God's teachings to Noah on how to protect and how to create a security shield, that's what you're creating when you get that same instruction. In other words, I go back in time 
to the time of the deluge, and I'm present when Noah is listening to God teaching him, the teacher, on how he can create a security shield. That's why you go to the Bet Knesset to listen to this reading of the Torah. Now the Zohar asks another question. Also in Pashat Noah, on page Lamed Gimel, or Si'if Tzadik, Tzadik Bet, Omar Rabkhia. Rabkhia said, Noah Shahayat Tzadik. Noah was a Tzadik. Lama lo bitel hamavet me'olam. We know that when the Jews were standing on Mount Sinai, it was death was eternally abolished. In other words, there would be no death ever in the world. Had the Jews not created the golden calf, there would no longer would have been death in this world. It would have been eternally abolished. The Zohar asks, since Noah was also a tzaddik, how come he, he, as a tzaddik, what does a tzaddik mean? He is in the form of Yusod, which the Zohar says, wherever you see the word tzaddik, it doesn't mean a righteous person. Who's righteous? Who's righteous? A person who does good things. There are a lot of people who do good things in the world. Are they called righteous? No. No, says the Zohar. A righteous person who has achieved a level of consciousness called by the code name Yisod. It's a certain level of of energy intelligence called Yisod that when you are in that realm, in that realm, then death for you no longer exists if you connect to that. Since says the Zohar, Noah was a tzaddik, meaning he had achieved this level of consciousness known by its code name, Yisod, a certain sfira, a certain bottled up form of energy. How come he could not cancel and nullify death from the world and that the deluge should never take take place? And the Zohar answers, They did not believe. They did not believe, like most people today, I guess, believe that they could be in control of their life. They did not believe that when Noah was teaching them and trying to tell them all these years that a flood is coming and you can protect yourself, says the Zohar, they didn't want to believe him. They felt, they felt that I'm in control of my destiny. They had this egocentricity, like unfortunately most of the people today, who if they're told, you know that most of your behavior in life is robotic, you don't make decisions. You think you have signed, or you think you have made decisions in your life, but they all are being directed by the cosmos. You have no say whatsoever in the way your life shapes or unfolds. 
nothing to say about it. That part they could not believe. They could not believe. And because of that, when Noah was teaching these people, trying to teach them, and saying, a flood is coming, and there's nothing you can do, unless you create a security shield around you, they did not believe that it was possible to create, maybe even some of you here, may not believe what the Zohar is saying about Noah, what he did. He created a security shield. And therefore, the flood in in his little raft could not affect his little raft because he had created an energy field that was untouchable. Noah believed it. And therefore, the fact that Noah was a tzaddik and he had the energy level of intelligence to save the whole world. But you know what? They didn't believe. They didn't believe it. Why is that so important? Why do I have to believe in it? Why do I have to accept the idea that I can control my life? That I can control a security shield? Because the Zohar says that when you're when you want something to work for you, if there is a, not a total commitment, it's like I was speaking to someone a, a little while ago. If a person does not have a commitment to what he wants to do, he will never succeed. Why? Why can't he just do it without having this total commitment? What does the total commitment mean more than if he just thinks, it's a good idea and I'll do it. But a total commitment. Why is there a necessity of a total commitment? And if you ask people in the in the in the uh, in the financial industry who are the who are the success people those for whatever reasons are totally committed to what they're doing they are the success people those who do things because they have to do them or because there's no other alternative they are not the success people there must be commitment this is the word committed Committed to what you are doing. Why is that necessary? Why is that commitment necessary? Commitment, or in Hebrew we say hitchayvut, comes from the the Hebrew sounds right. Hitchayvut. Hitchayvut means commitment. But chayav, as we have learned, means a positive, a connection. A connection. A business or a family or whatever. For it to be successful, can't take in pieces. You can't have a fragmented kind of life. There must be an understanding from the beginning to the end. But if you begin saying, well, maybe this is not so good or this is good, that means this idea is not total for you right or wrong but it's not total if it's not total then you know what happens there is not that complete flow of energy that the cosmos want to interject into an undertaking when we said that the first day of Cheshvon is the most positive powerful year day of the year now a person says maybe yeah maybe no then what he's doing is saying this intelligence, and it is an intelligence, that day 
The first day of Cheshvon is an intelligence. Again, we're not used to the idea that a cup has intelligence or there's an intelligence in the cosmos. But if you're speaking to this cosmos and saying, I'm not sure you can help me, he will react no less than what you want him to react towards you. If you tell him, I don't think you can help me, then he can't help you. You have maybe tied his hands from helping you. You curtail it. That's what it means when you haven't got a commitment. You are in effect limiting the kind of energy flow into the into whatever your your energies are being directed towards. If there's not a total commitment to it, then there's not a total flow of energy. So it's slow, weak, whatever. Therefore, there is no success. No matter what undertaking it is. These people here did not believe. Did not believe. And therefore, there was no total commitment. And therefore, they could not be saved. Not because God wanted them to be destroyed even if they had deserved to be destroyed. But they had a total commitment. Where do we learn that? We learn that in the same Pasha, another incident called the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. I've discussed that in Wheels of a Soul. These people were of the highest form of intelligence. They had prepared already to build a 2,000-story skyscraper. 2,000 stories. We're having difficulty trying to put up one that's 140 stories. With all of the recent technology, with all of the recent development in science, how to build things of a, of a higher structure. They were already up to the sky. But their purpose was evil. Purpose was evil. And God could not destroy these people, says the Zohar. Right at the end of Parshat Noah. Why? Because there was a total commitment to each other. A total commitment to each other. There was no, when there was a sharing between each other, it was total. And because there was a total commitment, even though it was for an evil purpose, the same way as God could not help those who were not totally committed, so God could not even destroy evil people, says the Zohar, because they were totally committed to each other. When you have a total commitment, you have a total flow of energy. If there is no total commitment, there is no total flow. So, if you ever feel that there's a need for a blessing, should be said in the Bet Knesset or whatever, if it's half-hearted, I can assure you, it's not going to work. No, but you might think, well... Could it hurt? It may not hurt, but it won't help. This is not a game of, we'll try. Either you say, there is a possibility that I'll take, and I'll try it, but a total commitment. Because without a total commitment, says the Zohar, it is impossible. What seems to emerge from all of this about Cheshvan, powerful month, It's a powerful month. Since it is so powerful, if this energy, being as powerful as it is, that it can create a mabul, it can create such a a devastation, it is exactly the month that we can enjoy the most positivity. 
The only question is, are we capable of handling, handling this kind of energy? It's the only question. Does it have to be a bad month? No. Avraham, when he, when he proclaimed Cheshvan to be mar, bitter, we also know if we twist the word around, from mem resh, we can turn it to resh mem, ram. It could be the most exalted month of the year. So when Kabbalists suggest to people, do not begin anything during the month of Cheshvan, any day in the month of Cheshvan, because you have to be of such a high level form of consciousness that you can handle this tremendous influx of positive energy because water is positivity. Remember, water is in fact the lifeblood of everything, not only of, of the human being, of vegetation, of rock, and of the animal. Without water, we cannot exist. That's how powerful water is. The body is made, mostly made up of water. That's how powerful water is. So we need water. But in this month, there is an overabundance of water. It has changed from Tal to a flow of Geshem, from driplets into a heavy flow of, of rain, a transition. What it's merely telling us is this month, this month, there is so much positivity that most people can't handle it. Why are there no holidays? Not this month is called Marcheshvan because there's no holidays. What is a holiday? It's a code name. Chag is a code name. It's a coded word. It's a coded word for balanced energy. When we have a holiday of Sukkot, of Pesach, or Shavuot, what do you mean it's a holiday? To celebrate? Celebrate for whom? We don't celebrate holidays. What we do is tap the energy of those particular days. When the Torah described certain holidays, it was only informing us about what's going on in the cosmos. You want to tap energy? You want a better life? You want you want a, a better well-being? You have, to, you have to tap energies. No one can go through life without a reinforcement of energy. Some people find it in a bar. What do you think people go in after 5 o'clock into a bar? Why do they go there? Trying to, well, they some say forget their problems or to get a, a surge of energy. Alcohol can give a surge of energy. It's called happy hour. <laughs> it's called happy hour. All right. It means a revitalization. Unfortunately, that doesn't last. It's, it's a temporary stopgap. It does not do the kind of job it, it should be meant to do. That's why we do kiddush on wine. We know what the power of wine is. It's a, it's a, it's an, it's a resurgence of energy. Why? So we can tap on this particular day the energy that is available for us. That's what a Chag means. The reason that Cheshvan does not have holidays, not because the flood came because there was no holidays. The reason there are no holidays is because this is the month of an unequal balance of positivity. An unequal balance of positivity. And if an individual can't handle the unequal while it's positive, very powerful. Powerful for the good. However, it's like we can say about uh, those who have children. 
If you're overly good with the children, we say we can spoil them. How could you spoil them? Doesn't the child appreciate the good you keep doing for him? Every time he wants something, you say, okay. Why doesn't he become appreciative? In fact, sometimes they say that child becomes spoiled. That child will begin to bite the hand of the parent. And where's the logic? All I've done is good for the child. Overly good, everyone understands at a slowest level. Overly good isn't good either. So the problem with Cheshvan is there was an overabundance, an overabundance of energy. And therefore, Chag is not there. Why isn't there a Chag? Meaning that's not what Chag means. Chag means a balanced form of energy that comes on Shavuot, comes on Sukkot, comes on Pesach. Those are balanced forms of energy that you can tap. You don't have to fear when you tap this energy whether you're capable of handling it or not. It doesn't require a handling of it. The same way as on Rosh Chodesh. It does not require, it does not require your handling of it. You're there, you can, t- you connect, you've gotten it. Only on Rosh Chodesh. Only on Rosh Chodesh. Because it's also a semichag. But during the rest of the month, it could be a disaster. Because it is so powerful. Because it is so powerful. And the code name for Mabul, which I said was 72, indicates three times 26, three times the tetragrammaton. It had the right, left, and center. It was a total, inclusive, comprehensive totality of energy. 78. 78, right. Which is the numerical value of Mabul. Mem is 40, Bet is 2, Vav is 6, Lamed is 30, which adds up to 78. It's a coded word. Flood is not the word. Flood is not the word. The Mabul is a coded name for the total totality of the tetragrammaton. Therefore, it could be Ram. It could be exalted. Therefore, King Solomon completed the temple in Cheshvan. Why? When he completed the structure, when the structure was capable of handling that kind of an energy, when did he want it to begin? When did it want the footing to take place? In that month. Because the structure, the vessel, was complete. That's the message. It's not a story that by chance or by design he decided to finish in the eighth month. No, it's an exalted month. And because it was an exalted month, Shlomo, who was a wise man, who knew astrology, knew that this was the month that he can get all of this positivity and make it manifest. The same reason that he began the structure of it. He began the structure. The vessel was not ready yet. But he began a Chodesh Ziv. Why? Because he began, he wanted to tap the energies as they were coming in. The difference between Ziv and Bull, or the difference between Taurus and uh, Cheshvan, is one is manifest and one is potential. One is manifest and one is potential. Therefore, the beginning when it was yet in a potential state of construction, he began with the potential power. The manifested power took place in Cheshvan.
both months, and that's the secret here in this verse in, in uh, Malachim, in Kings, again, chapter 6, just two verses, just two little verses. But therein lies the secret. Both these two months, therefore, are disastrous months, as I said before. During the month of Iyah, holocausts have always been recorded in the history of Jews and the history of the world. Because if you have holocausts, even in the holocaust in Germany, it could have been 6 million Jews, but it was 20 million non-Jews of different nationalities, of different nationalities, who also suffered. Now, there wasn't this, the Jew was the direct, uh, 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 the direct uh, recipient of this onslaught, and the other people who were involved were not directly, but were caught up in this war. And so they also suffered. These two months, whether it's Taurus or whether it's Cheshvan, are an excess overflow of energy. So when Rabbi Shimon decided to leave in the month of Iyah, when he decided to leave in the month of Iyah, he chose that month. Why? Because knowing that there was an overabundance of potential energy here, if not dealt with properly, would be a disaster, as it was with the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva. Along comes Rabbi Shimon and died that day. What does it mean he died that day? He chose to leave that day. What does it mean he chose to leave that day? What is the advantage of him leaving that day that therefore those who have oral, the Kabbalists, and as I said, the Kabbalists and the primitive Sephardic people in Israel, those are the two who merge on this one particular day to, to make connections with Rabbi Shimon Bar What was so significant? And also, the reason we scheduled uh, tonight's learning session wasn't I just decided, well, we haven't had one in a long time, I want you to know that was not the reason. The reason was because it is on the eve of uh, the death anniversary of Rachel, and I wanted to at least support myself and you in this learning session by making connections with Rachel. She's been very good, at least for those people connected with the center who had our beginning in this building at least, one year ago. What is so significant? I quote the Zohar. The Zohar in Pashat Vayishlach, it's uh, volume uh, 5, in Pashat Vayishlach, page 92, which is 59, and paragraph Kufza the Ket, which is 198. In discussion of Rachel, I guess many of you who read the uh, story feel bad. You know, Jacob loved Rachel. And he marries Leah first. Right? It always seems that there was a great deal of, uh, of uh, misfortune. 
But that's not true. If you read the story, as I did many years ago, I always felt bad about Rachel. Right? And then she dies when she gave birth to um, to um, Benjamin. Now, we also know we also know that this day this day of um, of the death anniversary of Rachel is also the birth of Benjamin, her son. In other words, the final son of the 12 sons of Jacob, Benjamin was the youngest and the final, and that completed the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Doesn't mean it completed the 12 signs of the Zodiac existed from the time of creation in day four. But for us, that means according to the Kabbalah, the reason for the narration of the sons of Jacob is to teach us how we can, can become in control of the constellations rather than the constellations govern us. Rather than if I'm a Scorpio or if I'm a Libra or if I'm an, uh, a Leo, that I'm going to behave the way the cosmos designate, designate my behavior. No, I don't want that. I want to be in control of my life. I want to behave the way I want to behave and not the way it is governed through the cosmos. So he was the culmination. And it says in uh, verse, in chapter 35, in chapter 35, verse 18, and it came to pass as her soul was in departing, because the English is a little corrupted, and when her soul went out, Kimeta, because she died. Well, it's obvious. If her soul left, she died. And so the Zohar asks on this verse, Amar Baba, The moment it says that her soul left, then I know she died. Why does the verse have to repeat that she died? It says her soul left. Do you know about a body that lives on when the soul is left? Why does it have to then uh, repeat that she died? There's a secret here that the verse wants to tell us when it says that she died. In other words, the second part when it says she died Meaning that body, that body was no longer necessary. Rachel had done a completion of her tikkun, of her whatever purpose she came to this world. And so when she went out of this world, she went out with completeness. Because when it says her soul left, it doesn't say, well, what about is the body going to come back? Is the soul going to come back again? Maybe a person dies. It doesn't mean that he's completed his tikkun. But when it repeats kimeta, the Torah wants to inform us that she completed her whole tikkun. Like we know about Rabbi Shimon. That Rabbi Shimon came to this world for only one purpose. To reveal the Zohar. 
He had no other purpose. He came with his own makif and me, which for those of you who are familiar with that idea. In other words, there was nothing that Rabbi Shimon had to add in the way of his own correction. Because there are some souls that leave this world, but they have to come back again. Not Rachel and not Rabbi Shimon. So why did these two people pass away in these two months? Because they can be of assistance to us. How could they be of assistance to us? Because we were talking about total commitment. When you have someone who is is complete, if a security shield is complete, if her security shield was total, if her whole composite was totality, meaning the, her soul did not have to return, just as Rabbi, the soul of Rabbi Shimon didn't have to return. When we do the su'uda, or when we connect with that particular day of a death anniversary, to that person who has done the complete job, meaning the energy field created by Rachel, or the create or the energy field created by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was complete. And if I have the vision, and there may be even the zachut to merit that I could understand that if I connect to Rabbi Shimon or if I connect to Rachel then I'm taking a totality, meaning no fragmentation. She's total. Total means only good. There's no lacks. What's a sickness? A lack. What's a problem? A lack. So she injected herself, and she chose that day. She chose that day. How do we know that there was completeness? Because Benjamin, Benjamin, was also born on that day to indicate to us a totality, a completion. And therefore, with the hope, and we'll conclude with the zachut of Rachel Imenu, that we should encompass and connect with her security shield, and so that we will have a better year for us than we had the previous year. Amen. Amen.